BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey guys, it's Mad Mike here. Today we got two scary Craigslist horror stories that for sure scare you out your mind. If you ever plan on using Craigslist, Please make sure you meet in a public place at a reasonable time. In 2007, I went on a date with a guy from Craigslist. I was 17 years old at the time. I put an ad up looking to meet someone. I don't remember the details. A guy responded who lives close to me, and so I emailed him back and gave him my number. He was actually one of the only ones who responded without a creepy message. He said his name was John, and he was 26 years old. This guy John and I spoke for two days before meeting, and we met on a Friday night. We texted back and forth, and he asked if I was single. I said yes and he asked me what type of food I like to eat because he wanted to take me to a restaurant. I asked him a few questions about himself. He told me he still lived with his mother but had the top floor to himself and that he was a part-time model that made good money. Judging by his picture, him being a model was fairly believable. So on Friday night, John comes to pick me up. He drove a silver two-door car I want to say Ford. He popped me a message saying he was waiting outside. After checking my hair and makeup one last time, I said goodbye to my parents, telling them I was heading out with friends and left. I got into John's car and the first thing I noticed was that he looked exactly like his photo, the tall, dark and handsome type. He had pale skin with dark hair and dark eyes. He looked a little older in person, but made up for it with a snappy fashion sense. He was incredibly kind, and his body language and smile totally put me at ease. Yes, it's really stupid to go on a date from Craigslist, but surprisingly, this guy was normal. We chatted for a while as he started driving away from my hometown towards the highway. He wanted to drive us into the city to go to dinner which wasn't too far, just around 25 minutes. John started to reveal more details about himself to me on this journey. He told me he was embarrassed to tell me he lived with his mother, that I might think bad of him for not having his own place at his age. John got closer and closer to the highway, and I can't tell you what it was. I won't make it up because I don't remember, 
but it wasn't anything remotely creepy. I just felt put off by him. You know when you're on a date with someone and you're not sure, and then they tell you something that's your biggest turnoff? It was that kind of situation. Again, he didn't say anything too creepy, just off-putting. As we're getting closer and closer to the turnoff, I tell this perfectly nice guy, I'm really sorry, I, I don't feel like going to dinner anymore, I'm not feeling well. John's initial reaction was sympathy. What's wrong? Are you okay? Is it my driving? I told him I just didn't feel well. John then kept asking me, What did I say? What did I do? I told him it's not him. It's me. I wanted to go home because I felt ill. Then he said, Okay, let me just drive around for a little bit before I take you back. I don't want to end the evening like this. I knew that without him driving me home, I'd have to walk over an hour, maybe more. So I told him that driving for a bit sounded like a fine idea. But instead of him turning around and going back towards my place, he veered off and started heading to the town I knew he lived in. I should mention that it was pitch blackout and the town where John lived was surrounded by dense woods. He decided he wanted to take the back roads because it's more scenic despite the fact I couldn't see a thing. John had gone from being incredibly talkative to almost completely silent. He kept driving further into the wooded area. A few times, I'd ask him questions about himself to break the awkward silence. At one point, I put my hand on his knee affectionately, trying to regain the friendly flirty banter we'd had earlier. He blanked me for the most part, occasionally answering in soft grunts or nods. It was like he was having a tantrum. John pulled into a parking lot for a forest. It was around 9pm, so naturally, it was totally empty. He slowly kept driving, looking around for other cars, and then parked himself right at the end, close to the woods. There was nobody else in the parking lot, and I hadn't even seen us pass other cars to get there. For 10 minutes, he just sat there, staring into the darkness ahead, which was disturbing. I think I managed to make small talk for maybe 5 minutes, which is a long time when someone isn't talking back. Then I joined him in his silence. I was afraid of appearing fake. I didn't want him to think I was scared. So some time of silence goes past, and abruptly, John gets out of the car, closes the door, and locks the car. I was stuck inside. His lights were on so I could sort of see what was ahead. In front of the car was a field that maybe went on for about 20 feet, and then beyond that were trees and dense forest. To the left was the rest of the car park, an exit at the far end, and to the immediate right was more forest with a small path. John disappeared into the forest ahead. I tried the handle on the door. It wouldn't open. I began to rationalize this. Maybe he accidentally locked a door. I was telling myself, if he really wanted to do something, he would have stayed in the car. With no sight of John, 
I decided I needed to call someone. I looked around for my phone and I couldn't find it. This was an old silver pay-as-you-go flip phone. I was confused that I couldn't find it because I had put it right next to me in the cup holder. After looking for it for a good few minutes, I became sure he had taken it. Mind you, I didn't want to start rooting around his car, knowing he might be watching me. I didn't want him to catch on that I was freaking out. At that point, I started looking for my phone with only my eyes, instead of making it obvious. I was petrified that this guy was watching me panic in the darkness. My eyes were darting all around the floor. Nothing. I looked up and squinted my eyes into the field and forest ahead. I saw him. John was standing about 10 feet from the car on that small field. He was standing and smiling. It wasn't a friendly smile. He looked freaky. This was not the same guy I got in the car with. I looked ahead and smiled back. I was still trying to act like his behavior was normal, like nothing he was doing was scary. Still smiling, his tongue began to protrude from his mouth. He stuck it out all the way. He began wagging his tongue up and down while maintaining eye contact with me. I felt myself trembling. I was trying to compose myself. Not taking his eyes off of me, and with his tongue still out, he started unzipping his pants. He took out his thing and proceeded to urinate in front of me while staring at me the whole time. This is the point I found it difficult to act like I was in on his behavior. I looked down at the floor, not wanting to watch what was in front of me. He didn't creep or slink back to the car. Instead, I hear his thundering steps and then a slam against the window. I guess at this point, I was the luckiest person alive because another car pulled into the parking lot. I don't know what this did to John, but immediately he got back into the car and laughed at me. That normal laugh. And said, <laughs> So what music do you like? I'll put it on while I drive you home. <laughs> and he did. He drove me all the way home. When we pulled up to my house, I went for the door, but it was still locked. I want you to promise me something. If you see me, if you ever see me after this, turn the other way. Act like you don't know me. If you see me with my family, don't you dare say a word. I don't expect to bump into you, but don't say anything. I agreed. I then asked him, have you seen my phone? He told me no. I guess my phone was a small sacrifice for surprisingly making it home okay. When I got in, I said goodnight to my parents and went upstairs to my room and turned on my computer. I wanted to gather as much information about the guy as I could. Back then, I used MSN Messenger. It logged in automatically whenever I started up my PC. Now before I get to the final part of this story, it's important you know this. One day before, I had been at my best friend's house. We had the kind of friendship 
where it was like who could pick on the other the most. It was all good fun, and we mostly just ripped the shit out of each other and had a laugh. The day before, she had changed two contacts in my phone, which was one of her old pranks, and replaced contact mom with a guy I had been sending sexual text messages back and forth with. I immediately knew she had done this because I saw the previous messages come up, but I didn't change the numbers back at the time, thinking I'd do it later. So when I logged on to MSN, I had a ton of messages from this guy and a few from my best friend. When John had locked me in the car, he had taken my phone and texted mom telling her that I'm sorry, but I decided to move out. I've met someone. Please don't look for me. I'm happy being left alone. So another thing about the message was that it was all written in text speak. For example, it swapped please with PLZ. And this guy knew I never texted like that. Aside from the message itself, this was a big red flag. He had texted me back a question mark before texting again and saying, I don't think this is you. Nowhere you went calling the police. This was incredibly quick thinking, as he had absolutely no idea where I was. I think that text saved my life that night, and it explains John's sudden change of behavior. If it wasn't the random car, it was for sure the text message. Afterwards, we tried to find this guy online by name and by email, but we couldn't find anything. It seemed everything on him was fake. My best friend pressed me to call the police, but I never did, because I feared the retribution I'd get from my parents for going on a date with a guy I didn't know. My friend ended up betraying my trust and told my mom anyway, who still didn't call the police, but instead did what I expected and banned me from my computer and from going out, while also calling me an idiot. There is something else too. Turns out, this guy's first name was John, and he did in fact live in the town he said he did. Around three years later, I started going out with a guy from that very same town. His name was Chris. We were talking about exes one day, and I told him about my creepy encounter. I didn't even get halfway through the story before he stopped me and started asking questions about what John looked like, how old he looked, and how old he said he was. Turns out he knew him. This guy was now in prison for attacking and raping a 14-year-old girl and beating her bloody in a nearby park. That was just what he was in prison for, though. My friend told me he was well-known for being a creep way before that, and his friends even called him Creepy John. He would go around nearby parks where he knew the younger girls hung out and would ask them to get in his car or take their photo. He would always tell them he was a model too. My boyfriend at the time first met him when he was 12 because John decided to take up skateboarding and tried to make friends with lots of young boys in the skate park. He couldn't believe I'd actually got in a car with him. Anyway... That's my story about possibly, maybe, nearly being murdered, raped, or beaten. Hope you enjoyed. If anyone is wondering, 
Yes, the guy is still in prison today. Me and my girlfriend Stacy were looking for a small house out of the city. After years of living in a cramped apartment, we decided we were ready for an upgrade. And with her just getting a new promotion, we knew it was time to start looking for a place with an extra room she could use for an office. We decided to look on Craigslist to see if we could find something that wasn't too expensive. After a bit of searching, we found a two-bedroom house in the Upper West Side of Roder, just a few miles from where we were living at the time. I called the number in the description, and a man picked up the phone. We talked for a while about the house and the cost of rent, but then he started asking me some pretty bizarre questions. He asked me how much I weighed and when my birthday was. Then he said if I wanted, I could give him my address and he could come pick me up himself. I told him it wasn't any trouble and that I would come around 10 next Saturday. Unfortunately, Stacy had gotten a call from the hospital that morning, which meant I had to go check out the house alone. What I originally thought was going to be a three-mile drive ended up being around five. At first, I thought I had taken a wrong turn somewhere because I couldn't see any houses that looked like the one in the ad. But after driving around some more, I saw the house with a long twisty road leading up to it. The house looked just like it did in the ad, white with a grayish blue roof and an open garage. I pulled into the driveway and got out of the car. I walked up to the front door and knocked no response i knocked again a little louder this time still nothing strange i waited for a good 10 minutes before an old black nissan maxima pulled into the driveway a big dark-haired man who looked to be in his 50s stepped out of the vehicle his clothing was stained and torn in places and he flashed me a practically toothless grin I was getting a bit creeped out at this point. We shook hands and he ushered me into the house. When I got inside, I was surprised to see that it was entirely empty, unlike in the pictures in which it was furnished. He offered to take my person to the kitchen while he was showing me around, but I told him I'd rather hold on to it. After he showed me the bedrooms and bathrooms, I told him that I'd better get going because my girlfriend was probably worried about me. As I turned to leave, he grabbed my arm almost violently and told me he still needed to show me the basement. Now, I'm a pretty big woman myself, clocking in at about 5'9", but he was even bigger. So I decided to go with it, knowing that if I needed to shove him to the ground and get the hell out of there, I could in a heartbeat. He opened the door at the end of the hallway, and instantly, I got a bad feeling. He stood behind me, blocking my path, a big, ugly smile plastered on his face. I took a few steps deeper into the basement, and suddenly got hit by a smell bomb of rotted meat. I knew something was wrong. I needed to get the hell out of there, and right on cue, my phone started ringing. It was Stacy. 
I asked him if I could go upstairs and take it. Suddenly, the big toothy grin on his face twisted into a frown. After a few seconds of still standing in the doorway, he smiled again. But this time, it was a small, gentle smile, and he told me it was okay and for me to take my time. I went back upstairs, walking slowly and calmly as possible. The second he turned around to close the door, I ran out of the house and hopped in my car. I waited for a while to see if he was coming after me, but he didn't. I jammed my key into the ignition and took off. After I got home, I told Stacy everything that happened and she said that we should call the police. They told us they would send a few officers down there and that if they found anything out of the ordinary, they would ring us up. It was about 10 o'clock at night by the time they called back. Me and Stacy were already in bed, but I decided it was too important to ignore. I truly wish I hadn't. What they told me would haunt me forever. It turns out that the man who was renting out the house didn't even live there. It was owned by a couple who was on vacation. He told me that it looked like he had been living there for a while. One of the rooms was filled with old containers of rotting food and ripped up bed sheets. Not to mention the alcohol bottles filled with urine. But that's not the part that scared me the most. At the bottom of the basement were the bodies of three other women, all of them bruised and bloody. Some of their appendages were bent and twisted in unnatural positions, as if someone had pushed them down the stairs. All I could say is, that was a close one. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.